So the late Kobe Bryant, he was a great player. Some say he was one of the best to ever play the game. But there was one thing that separated Kobe from everybody else. And that was his love, his passion, his just hunger for the game and to want to know more and more about it. When he was six years old, he was living overseas. His dad was playing overseas basketball. His grandfather used to send him tapes of some of the old players. And he would just study and try to figure out all their moves, try to learn how to play like they did. He had an obsession with the game. So much so that his teammates called him weird because his source of fun on a, on a Saturday night, instead of going out and partying like your normal 18, 24-year-old, he was at home studying basketball, right? And he loved it. They thought he was weird. In the 20 seasons that he played basketball, he was not once ever criticized for not playing hard, being lazy, taking nights off. And that's because he loved the game and he adored it. And he wanted to know every aspect of it. They said he would spend five hours sometimes to watch one game, 48-minute game, five hours, because he wanted to, to get in a competitive advantage. He wanted to know the tendencies of the players that he was playing against. He wanted to know the personnel. He wanted to know the plays so that he could be successful when he went out there on the court. Well, it's one thing for Kobe Bryant to be in love with a game of basketball that's shared by many people. But as Christian men, what I want us to see here is God has individually given us beautiful wives that he's allowed us to have great relationships with. Matter of fact, the greatest relationship that we'll have on this side of eternity, we have in our wives. And God wants us to, to cherish that. And he want us, wants us to know everything about our wives and love everything about our wives. So some of you, probably like me, when you saw this text, you're like, oh, one through six is about women. Not for me, right? I'll just focus on verse seven. And even me, when I first got it, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, Pastor PJ, why would you give me this? And I'm like, I, I, I'm the new guy up here preaching. Give me, some, give me John 3.16. Let me just do that, right? I can preach on that all day long. Uh, but he gave me this, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a doozy. And then on top of that, as I'm studying, as I'm studying for you, those of you that were here this weekend, you heard Pastor Mike start talking about husbands in our relationship, in marriage. And he referenced this passage. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So not only do I have this passage that got to work for, then you have PM that starts to reference it, and then you throw me on the pulpit. What am I supposed to do with this? All right. But then as I got to studying this chapter in this specific passage, I realized there's a lot in here for men, for us. And, and the point in here that, that I want to make is, is God sees our relationship in marriage as so critical, so critical that we get right, that he says that he will hinder our prayer life if we don't get this right. He will hinder our prayer life. I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I need that line open 24-7. We got so much going on in this life, I, I just don't have time for a busy dial tone. 
if I'm calling on God. I need that line open. But how this relates to us, because many men will look at it and say, we're talking about wives here. But God gives us this responsibility as the leader in the home, right? And when you're the leader in the home, you have to make sure that you lead properly. And leading includes knowing exactly what your wife's responsibility is in marriage and making sure that we're doing everything in our power to ensure that she can live up to what God is calling her to do as a Christian wife. And so for us, the importance of of knowing this today is knowing our our, our wife's role and responsibility first and foremost so that we can support, we can become better husbands, we can become, we can have a better marriage and we can grow closer in the holiness of God. So if you haven't already, if you would, open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, likewise, and when we hear that word likewise, that's referencing something else was said before that's similar to what we're talking about today. And if you remember our our last two sermons, uh, we were talking about the government and being subject to the government and being subject to our, our masters, right? So it's not the same way, but likewise, in a common, in common way, that the wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's the lowercase Lord. So we're talking about a sign of respect, like calling him Sir. Continue on, it says, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So verses 1 through 6 have this theme is... uh, submission, subjection, and then also what is, what is true beauty. And so Peter has given us these verses in 1 to 6, 1 through 6, not for, not for men to think, yeah, you know what, we, we do have it right, Peter, go, to, go tell our wives. They should know a little bit something more about their role. That's not what he's talking about here. Peter wants to take his time here with, our, with the wives because these wives in this situation that he's talking about are married to unbelieving husbands. And so he wants to take his time and get some depth to what exactly is their responsibility as Christian women in marriage. And it's tough. It's really tough in this time because they got to deal with a lot of patience. They got to be vulnerable, right? And they have to have a lot of humility. Their life isn't just easy going as your normal Christian marriage. And so he wants to give them details on that. And let me, let me take a step back and, and take you into history with this first century Greco-Roman culture that we have. So women during this time, they were a, a step above slaves being wives. 
So not much respect there, right? This was a man's culture. The men just sought out a, a rich-looking woman or, or a, a true rich woman that he could put by his side that would upgrade his status level. Marriage was all about procreation and making sure that your wife looked pretty all the time so that you had a higher look in society. Marriage during this time was nothing more than a declaration to be able to live together. Prime example of what marriage looked like here? If a woman committed adultery during marriage, she could be killed during this time. If the man, on the other hand, committed adultery during marriage, wasn't anything a woman could do. She could be upset, but that's about it. They were physical with their wives. They were violent. They were harsh with their wives. And that's just talking about a generic relationship. That's not even talking about a woman that's, that's came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I both know, for the believers in this room, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's a complete heart change. The old has passed away, right? So you become this new creation. And so if you can imagine the, the, the Romans during this time, they, they married their wives, this one person, and they thought this is who they were going to marry. And then all of a sudden she became somebody else and started acting a lot different. So you can just imagine that, that that's tough because this is not the person that they married. So you, you can see the aggression they probably had when the faith was changed. So the women during this time, it wasn't easy. So you might be thinking, well, why this passage? Do we really need to be talking about the wife of an unbeliever? Like, can we not just talk about the wife of a believer? I, I can relate to that. Well, I want to turn your attention and just jot these down. You don't have to turn there. It's Colossians 3.18. It's the first one. And then Ephesians 5.22. And if you're familiar with it, you know Paul is talking to Christian women that are married to Christian men. And this is how he starts off. Colossians 3.18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, guess what our passage today starts with? Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Right? And so it's the same beginning. It doesn't matter if you're married to an unbeliever or you're married to a believer. God has the same expectation for wives in marriage. And so when we read this, we should still read it as either Christian wife or non-Christian wife. It's all the same expectation. Peter just wants to take his time and he wants to dig a little bit deeper here because these, these wives during this time, they're going through a little bit tougher situation. And he wants them to understand, of, look, don't hit the abort button. Don't hit object, uh, reject, uh, object just yet. Can't even get that word right. Uh, it's early. So don't eject just yet. But Stay there. God knows exactly what you're going through. God is going to be there with you. And even so much so is the absolute authority that you can give your husband, that's going to win him over to Christ. Your conduct, that's going to be what wins him over to Christ. So I need you to stay there because that's the ultimate goal in all of this. And then we get, as we're looking at the, the text, we get to this word, be subject be submissive. That's the most controversial word that we hear nowadays. When we think about equality, right? It's like, oh, there are those Christians go again, chauvinistic, telling their wives to submit to them. Well, in, in all actuality, 
when you think about the Christian life, that's the utmost equality. Our wives, husbands, we are, are one in Christ. God's just telling us, I have a specific plan for you as a wife. I have a specific plan for you as a husband in a role that I need you to live out. And when you do that, there's equality. So that equality that the world is looking for is right here. Isn't that interesting? Being submissive is honoring your husband's leadership and, and, and ensuring that that plans out and that, that that rolls out within the marriage. It's not saying, yes, I'll do whatever you want, because God makes it clear that, you know, if your, if your husband is leading you to sin, then that is a point where this is off the table. Correct? And that, that just talks more about us, our roles as husbands, because we're responsible to lead our wives. So we have to make sure that we know what their responsibility is and that we take our roles seriously so we're not leading them into something that's going to cause some conflict between us and what they're getting from God. The absolute authority here is not the husbands. It's not us. The absolute authority for wives is Jesus Christ. But through being obedient to Jesus Christ, then they are to be submissive to us as husbands, leaders of the home. And this mirrors the submission for the church to Jesus Christ. And Christ in himself was very submissive when he came to earth. And out of all people, he didn't have to be, but he did. Right? He was subject to his earthly parents. He was subject to God the Father. And lastly, on the cross, he was subject to the Roman government. He didn't have to go through with that, but he did because he knew that was God's will. In order for us to perform as husbands as best as we can, we need to know the roles of our wives. We need to understand it, and we need to be able to help support them and guide them and lead them to be the best wife that they can be. We have some responsibility in that. And we need to understand that, and we must understand God's expectation for us to be able to have a God-pleasing marriage with our wives. And that brings us to our first point this morning, is we need to understand God's expectation for women in marriage. Understand God's expectation for women in marriage. It's like reading a DBR, right? A lot of us read the DBR and... Uh, we, we, we speed read through the Old Testament. Ah, that doesn't relate to me. Let me get through this. Uh, I'll, I'll listen to the Old Testament, then I'll really read the New Testament because that's more relatable. Post-resurrection, church age, I can relate to what they're going through. In the Old Testament, you start giving me all these names, I'm going to tune you out. But really, when we think about the Old Testament, if we're not paying attention to the Old Testament, we're missing a lot of the context of the Bible, Right? And it's the same thing with our marriage. If we're not studying all aspects of the relationship, we're missing a lot of context of this relationship of marriage. The more and the better that we study God's word, Old Testament new, with the same detail, then the more sanctified we become because we become more holy like God. Well, the more and more that we study our wives and understand that their, what their role is, the more holy our marriage can become because we know all aspects of it. It says in here, even if some do not obey the word. Even if some do not obey the word. So these, these husbands, they, they've heard the word, right? 
They've heard the gospel just like their wives have probably, but they've disobeyed. They put it to the side and said, that's not for me. I'm going to continue to live life the way I want to live life. So it's not that they need to hear the word. They're not being obedient to it. And many of you have been in this situation, right? You've shared Christ with somebody. You've poured into a relationship. And you've been there. You've spent a lot of time and hours just investing in, in sharing the gospel. And, and you've seen progression, right? And you, at, the, at the moment you think they finally got it, they all of a sudden go back. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, you were almost there. But just think about the wives here for a second. They're, 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 they're living with these men. So it's one thing if you have a friend, a family member, a coworker that you're just pouring into, that you're constantly sharing Christ with, and then they retract, you can go home and, and, and hopefully you got your, your God-fearing wife at home and you can share with her. But here, it's not the case. You pour into them and then you see them go backwards right in front of your eyes and, and they're living with them. And that's tough. So Peter is telling them, it's not about your words but I want you to be pure in conduct. That's what's going to win them over. The words are not going to do that. The daily behavioral patterns that you have that show that you're a woman of Christ is what's going to ultimately win them to Christ. And that's, that's the whole goal here. Respectful and pure conduct, that stems from the relationship with Christ. Right? It's not just for the husband. It's for Christ. And God, just like for our wives, he holds us accountable to how we respond. God knows the situations that we're in. It's not new to him when we have a tough situation or we have a tough relationship. He's very aware of what's going on. He's sovereign over all of that. But he still expects us as Christian men, just like he does for the Christian women, to be able to behave in a conduct that's pure, that's glorifying to him. I want us to think about current day. We've been talking about Greco-Roman time, but current day, 21st century. So many women now uh, are still, of course, married to unbelieving husbands. And that role is tough because things that we take for granted, if you, praise God, have a relationship with you and your wife or, or believers in Jesus Christ, we, we oftentimes take for granted how you raise your kids, there's conflict there, right? How you, how, you, how you deal with conflict in itself. You got one party that's saying, hey, I want to be able to forgive and, and, and let's, let's, let's pray about it. Let's get on the same page. And you got the other party over here saying, I'm all about pride. I'm trying to win this argument at all costs. I don't care if it hurts your feelings. There's conflict there. The other, other conflict is how you spend your time. You got one party saying, like, I want to spend time that's going to make me happy when you got the other party saying, I just want to be plugged in the church and be around my church family. There's conflict there. But I want to bring it in a little bit closer and talk to this room for a second. Compass Bible Church, the men. There's a lot of women in this church right now, and I guarantee you, I can almost bet that your wife, if she's here, she probably has a friend of hers that has an unbelieving husband. Amen? And my, my challenge to you this morning is, what have you done to be able to step into that relationship and help out? And let me get specific with that. Going on double dates, 
that helps. Getting in a relationship with these guys that feel like this is a weird place to come, that's going to help. For them to come here, it's difficult. They're opening up, we're opening up a word that they have no idea about, that they're not comfortable with. They tag along with their wives that, that have relationships with a lot of people, and they just stand there, not having anybody to talk to. It'd be tough to come here. But just imagine, for a second, just imagine if they had just one person that they can go to and say, ha, I know him. I can go hang out with him. I can go talk to him because I'm comfortable with him. What difference would that make in helping them come to Christ? Their wives, they're doing everything that they can. But I think there's a responsibility that we have to hold as Christian men. And one thing I, I don't want to put, put on people is that they're not a project, these unbelievers. Because oftentimes we say, hey, I'm going to go work on that guy. I wouldn't want anybody working on me as a man. Like, you wouldn't want somebody saying that to your face. But sometimes we say that, and we don't mean that. But I think when we say it, we put in our mind, I got to fix them. We don't fix anybody. God fixes them. What we need to be doing with these men that are all around the church, they're just floating around here. Some of them come, some of them don't. But we need to be getting in a relationship with these men, coming side by side with them, right, becoming friends with them. When you get in a relationship with them, then that, there's no end to that. When they're a project and you work on them, then in, the, in your mind there's an end date. And if the project doesn't go as planned, you might just get out of Dodge, right, and leave them there. But I challenge you all, go ask your wife, hey, who's a friend that you have that has an unbelieving husband? Can we go on a double date with them? Can I get to know him? Can I get in a relationship with him? That is something that we can specifically do, Compass Bible Church men, and help out there and get involved in these men's lives. Because it's that man-to-man relationship that you all know and you have with brothers in Christ, that's going to help them there. So that's not in the text, but that was something that I wanted to share because I see it a lot. And these guys just sit around and they either come to church, they don't come to church. So something we can do. Don't work on them. Be in a relationship with them. Okay. So as we get into verses 3, Peter turns it and starts to talk about the beauty. The beauty that's imperishable. The beauty that he doesn't want these women to focus on the, the gold and the silver and, and, and how you dress and how you, how you wear your hair. And it was a battle because that's what men were looking for. That's what they wanted. People dressed up and, and they tried to impress. Does that sound like something we do today, right, the women? Amen to that. So it's the same battle that they have, right? The world tells you if you dress up, then that means you're, you're a little bit higher on the chart of standards and status. But God, God doesn't care about that. God cares about a gentle and a quiet and a submissive heart. God's not impressed by any riches that these women have to bring to the table, and he, Peter wants them to know that. It'd be like, you know, if I had my Tesla, I have a Tesla out front. It's, I have it dressed up as a Kia Optima, but it's a Tesla underneath, okay? But if I took my, my Tesla out front and I took it to Elon Musk and said, hey, look at my Tesla. Are you impressed with this? He's the creator and the designer of Tesla. He'd be like, I gave you the ability to have that. So even so much so, God in himself is the creator and the designer of everything that we have here. He's not impressed with any of this. Any riches that we have to bring to the table are nothing to him, right? 
So he's, he's, he's telling these wives the same thing. He's saying, look, you, you can wear that, but that shouldn't define who you are. Don't conform to the society. And the last part of this is, is verse 5. It says he compares it to Sarah being obedient to Abraham, calling him master and Lord. And this references Genesis 18.12. So Genesis 18.12 talks a lot about, you know, if you remember this, God is, is, is having a conversation with Abraham, and he's saying, I'm going to bring you a child. And what does Sarah do in the other room? She chuckles and laughs, right? Yeah, it says, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out <laughs> and my Lord, who's older than me, is old, shall I have pleasure? Right? So she calls him Lord out of respect, but, and, and most people will look at it and say, well, of course, Sarah, she was a pushover. Sarah was no pushover. Sarah has some feistiness about her, okay? So if we think about Genesis 21, 9 and 10, remember Sarah and Hagar. Hagar starts laughing, and Sarah says, cast her out of the house. And what does Abraham do? I, I, okay, I guess, Hagar, you got to get out. My wife told me to tell you that, right? So she was no pushover, but at the end of the day, Sarah was obedient to God. And she knew that God had a plan for her, and her plan was to submit to Abraham's leadership. And so out of respect and reverence to God, she was submissive to her husband. So whether it's first century wives or 21st century wives we're talking about, we ought to understand as men what God expects from our women and our, 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 our wives. And that is going to allow us to be better husbands. Now, there's one verse left. One verse that talks about our roles as husbands, and it's jam-packed, even though it's one verse, with a lot of expectations for us. And Peter lays it out very clearly what God's responsibility he has in store for us in, in marriage. So let's pick it up in, in verse 7. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I'm going to stop right there. So as many of you know, I work for 24-Hour Fitness. I work in human resources, so I do a ton of interviews, a lot of interviews. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, tell me what you know about 24-Hour Fitness. As if I didn't work here, just tell me some facts about 24-Hour Fitness. And what I'm trying to get at here is I want to know that you don't just think this is any other job, that you see some value in working at 24-Hour Fitness, that it's that it, it something significant about coming here and not LA Fitness or not Planet Fitness, and that you would have at least typed in Google and clicked enter and found out some facts. And one thing I get from at least one out of every two or three people I interview is a silly comment when I ask that question is, why, you're open 24 hours. And at first it was funny, but now what I do to mess with them, I just stare at them. I don't even respond to it, and I give them this stone cold face. And all, all of them, I can see their wheels spinning, and they're like, I just blew it. He didn't think that was funny. But whatever, I, I don't really care. But what, what I really want to know is, did you do your homework? Do you see this job as valuable? Are you going to go above and beyond in the interview stage to make me know that, you're going to do everything you can to be successful at this job. Because if you do it there, then there's a good chance you're going to do it on the job. If you don't even take your time to study and know the company, you're probably going to be average at best when I hire you. Okay? So 
how that relates to this is God's given us a specific relationship that we have. Where interviews, most guys will interview for a different job 12 to 15 times in their career, right? But God's gifted us with the greatest relationship on this side of eternity in our wives. And he wants us to continue to grow in holiness with them and honor and cherish that relationship. And that brings us to point number two this morning is we need to honor your wife as your greatest earthly relationship. Honor your wife as your greatest earthly relationship. It was designed to be that way. And everyone around you should know it. Your friends, your family members, your co-workers, they should have no doubt that your wife is the most important person to you on earth. There's a reason that over a third of marriages end in divorce in America. I want to put that in context because that's a lot. And sometimes we just skim over that and say, that's a third, a third, a third. It's not a big deal. But a third. As you go out this morning or as you were driving in today, there's about 40% of the cars on the road are SUVs. So as you go out today, for every SUV that you see on the road represents divorce in America. You tracking with me? That's a lot, right? Sometimes you see five of them in a row. That's divorce. The, the, the worldly marriage starts off high. You, you love your wife. She's the, your, your best friend. You wouldn't want to spend life with anybody but her. And then something happens. There's this slow descent and decline. And some are more drastic than others, but it ends up here where you'd rather spend your time with anybody else except your wife, right? But a godly marriage starts off high. It's here, right? And God's expectation of marriage is that it keeps climbing, and you get more and more and more holier, and it gets more sanctified. What's the disconnect? There's something that's drastically different. Well, Peter gives it to us right here. He says there's three gifts of love that he's going to give us. The first two are understanding and honor for our wives. And that understanding is knowing your wife, studying your wife. And it's not just a one-time thing. Your wife changes, just like you and I change, right? I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. Mentally, physically, I've changed, right? Amen to that. Some of you can relate with me there. But same thing with your wife. She's changed in a good way, though. And so we need to be studying. We need to understand what are her goals. If I asked you right now, what are the goals of your wife in life? What are they? Do you know? And not the ones that from five years ago that you're just carrying on, but do you know what her current goals are? Do you know what her strengths are? Do you know what her weaknesses are spiritually, physically, emotionally? And how can we leverage her strengths? How can we use her strengths to, to, to lift her up and then understand what her weaknesses are so that we can be there to support her, to help her lift up those weaknesses? That's what our role as husbands need to be. And speaking of the weaker vessel, that's what Peter calls it here. And it's not spiritually, it's not intellectually he's talking about. He's talking mainly about physically, physically weaker. And for the most part, that, that's, that's what's here today. And, you know, if, if that's not you, then talk to me after. I can put a, together a workout plan for you, give you some push-ups, some pull-ups to do, so that you can become the stronger vessel here, okay? But he's talking about physically during this time. Men were imposing on their women, on their wives. And then it was talked about this weekend as well during the men's breakfast, but also 
the ability emotionally not to be as strong. They can't take the harsh tongue, right, when we lash out at them. They can't take it like, like men can. Right? And so our job as men is to be that, that protector, that provider for them. And although our wives are supposed to be subject to us, we shouldn't walk around that way. But the world will tell you, you need to walk around and show people you're the boss. Stick your chest out high, right? Keep your head up. Let people know you're the boss. They should see it. You should wear it. Well, the greatest leader to ever walk the face of this earth, he came to serve. Jesus Christ came to serve. He didn't even want to be known as a leader, but everybody saw him as that because he came to serve. That should tell us something, right? Those that humbly serve are great in God's kingdom. So you want to be the best husband? And I know you all want to be the best husband you can be. Let me give you some advice. Be the best CSO of your household. CSO, chief servant officer of your house. Be willing to serve everybody, your kids, your wife. That's how you be the best husband, not boasting and bragging. I want to turn our attention to Ephesians 5.25. You don't need to turn there. You all know this verse. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As Christ loved the church, there's no exceptions there. Yeah, it's easy to love our wives as Christ loved the church when everything is firing on all cylinders. Amen to that? But what happens when things get a little tough, when finances get a little tight and it causes some stress in the home, or when your sex life is not what you desire it should be? Or what about when you have a wife that's constantly butting heads with you, trying to establish her leadership in the marriage? Maybe she's not a believer. What's Paul say? Love your wife as Christ loved the church, even through all of that. And then there's that second part there. It says, gave himself up for her. Sacrifice. Christ gave himself up, everything, including his life for the church. Honoring your wife as your greatest relationship on this side of eternity means putting aside your agenda to make sure that she knows outside of God, there's nobody more important than she is walking this earth. And there's some things that we have to sacrifice in order to make sure that that happens. And I'll give you a few of them here. I got five of them. First thing, we need to be able to sacrifice some money to buy her gifts and flowers. Yeah? And this is, you know, sacrifice the coffee that you have to have every morning that you go buy, Pete's, Starbucks, whatever it might be. Or if you go out to lunch and go out to eat every day, sacrifice one of those days. I'm not saying don't go eat, but at the same time, bring your lunch, right? Sacrifice that $10, $15 that you would go out and spend on lunch to go buy your wife flowers. And you don't have to wait for a specific holiday or Valentine's Day or her birthday. Do it just because. Number two, sacrifice your laziness with constant affection. Sacrifice your laziness with constant affection. Be all over your wife, men. Make her feel like and know that you just can't get enough of her. Touching her, kissing her, holding her, hugging her, all of those things. And guess what? It doesn't always have to lead to sex. That's hard, I know. But it doesn't always have to lead. We know women don't have the on and off switch like we have. 
It's just a flick of the switch. We're ready, right? It doesn't work that way for women, but they deserve still to have that same affection all the time. Number three, sacrifice your coming home from work routine. Sacrifice your coming home from work routine. So me, like many of you, when you come home from work, you're tired, right? Sometimes you just want to sit on the couch and, and unwind. But when you come home, that's your primary job. And so when you come home, we should be making a beeline to our wife and giving her a big bear hug, right? Squeezing her tight and not going to that conversation and saying, let me tell you about my day at work. Forget your day at work for a moment. Put attention towards her. Babe, how was your day? Tell me a little bit how, how, how you're doing. How can, I, how can I make you feel better this evening? Can I take the kids out? Can I cook dinner? Can I clean up? Sacrifice your coming home from work routine. Number four, sacrifice time with your kids. If you got them in the house, sacrifice time with your kids for your wife. When you come home, you should beeline straight for your wife, right? Kids getting away, you might have to stiff arm them, move them to the side. But they need to know that wife comes first. And then also being able to say, hey, I got to go on date night with my wife. And date night doesn't mean just putting the kids down early for bed and spending time. Sometimes we got to escape the demands of the home because when they're there, they're still in work mode, right? They're still in home mode. Escape the demands. Go on a walk. Go on a date. Be able to sacrifice time with your kids so you can invest in your marriage, the most important relationship that you have. And lastly, sacrifice the assumptive love. Sacrifice the assumptive love. What I mean by that is, men, be able to tell your wife you love her every single day. Be able to tell your wife she's beautiful every single day because she deserves that. And she is. Right? But sometimes we get in that mode of, well, she, she knows I love her. No, we need to verbalize that and say it so that she walks away knowing that, man, he loves me a lot. I've never heard a woman say, I'm sick and tired of my husband. He tells me he loves me every day. It's getting annoying. Stop. It just doesn't happen. And so we should pour into our relationship because it's the greatest one, and it's the one that God imposes on us and gifts us with and allows us to be able to have to glorify him. Honor your wife as your greatest relationship. But Peter doesn't stop there in verse 7. He gives us one more gift followed by this big, huge, glaring warning sign. If we don't get this right, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In this world of reaching for equality, uh, men and women and, and, and pay and status and whatever it might be, the Bible has it, and it's very clear. We are co-equals, male and female, when we're in Christ. And so isn't that interesting? The world constantly chases this thing that the Bible has right here. And it was made that way from day one. Galatians 3.28 tells us, There is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ. Amen. So that, that elevates these first century Christian women to be co-equals with their husbands. Although society might not say that, Christ says that they're co-equals with their husbands. And this is something, again, the Bible continues to tell us this. And the great thing about the Bible saying, this, saying it, it, it can't get taken away. It's sealed. Co-equals. 
Then it says of the grace of life. What that grace of life is, is, is being able to have the understanding of life and being able to have the hope, the peace, the joy in, in, in living this life, knowing that this is not our home. We have something much better in store. They get to share that with us. So you might be saying, my, my wife is not a believer. Well, whether your wife is a believer or not, that does not discount the relationship and the greatness of it that God gifts us with. And that how much he expects us as men, as Christian men, to be able to pour into that relationship. And we need to be able to align ourselves with God's view of marriage. And that brings us to our final point for this morning is align with God's high view of marriage. Align with God's high view of marriage. When I moved out here to California about seven years ago, I quickly realized that people out in California, there's one thing that they don't do correctly uh, or they don't use in the house. There's a lot of things that are out there, but there's one primary thing, right? And the one primary thing is, is how you utilize your garage. It's not a garage, it's a storage. Like, I wish they would have sold me the home and said, it comes with an attached storage unit. Because that's what it is. Everybody parks on the street. And you know why I know that? Because I'm one of those people now, okay? So my car is on the street. My garage has become a playpen for my kids and storage. And there's toys everywhere. And sometimes when I go to let up the garage or let down the garage, I'll, I'll press the button and it doesn't move. And I'm like, my first instinct is I got to call the garage people. I got to pay more money to fix this garage. But nothing's wrong with the garage. What's wrong is on the bottom, they got, they got these sensors, right? These sensors that talk to each other, that align with one another. And when they're in alignment with one another, everything works as it's supposed to work. The garage goes ups and down. But when there's something that's impeding them talking to one another, it doesn't function properly. Well, that's the same thing with our marriage. God wants us to align ourselves with his view of marriage. And if there's something that's not going right, then God will impede that connection that we have with him in our prayer life, right? And so it's not going to function properly. Our prayers don't get answered properly when we have some, something that's interfering with our signal with God. And that's how important he sees marriage is. He sees it as so critical that if we don't get this right, God will, when we call upon God, he'll pick out his iPhone. He probably has iPhone 20 by now. And he's able to hit that decline button on our call because we're not serious and we're not living out marriage the way he's calling it to be. I mean, listen to these last eight words. So that your prayers are, may not be hindered. Wow. God, you're going to hinder my prayers if I don't get marriage right? And we talk about knowing the side of, of, of the wife. Yeah, that's very important because i got to make sure I got, my wife's got hers intact by oversight of mine and my leadership. And I sure have to make sure that mine's intact, right? I can't have my prayers hindered. You, you might be saying, well, God wouldn't hinder our prayers. He loves me. He's going to listen to me. Well, first off, we do it to ourselves, right? When we are in constant battle with our wives, when we have this grudge going on with our wives, we're not in relationship and in constant communication with God. When we have lustful thoughts about other women, when we are con our, our eyes are constantly wondering, we're not, we're not calling on God, right? We're so focused on our own agenda. So we do it to ourselves first. Secondly, the Bible tells us about that. Jesus gives us an example in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 23, 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for us. It says, so if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, what does he say? Leave your gift right there before the altar and go. Go what? Go reconcile that first. 
Once you reconcile that, then bring your gift, and then we can talk. We can have a conversation. But don't come to me when there's, when there's friction, when there's some conflict that you need to go handle thinking that we're going to be able to have our relationship as normal. Take care of that first. James also tells us, James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Your relationship with your wife will affect your relationship with God. And guess what? Your relationship with God will affect your relationship with your wife. And I want us to keep in mind here as well, it's Hebrews 12.10. God's gonna, God might inflict us with a little bit of pain and discipline, but ultimately it's for our good so that he gets our attention and understands that in this specific situation, he has a high view of marriage that he needs us to, to comprehend and to live out, and that he needs us to align with our responsibility there, align with God's high view of marriage. So when I was in college, I used to come back home in the summertime, and I, I would work for my dad. And my dad was worked uh, in upper management for this company, and I was getting my degree in business management. So I thought when I came home, I'm like, cool, I'm going to get one of those nice, sexy jobs in a suit and get to work in the air conditioning and start to, to work towards management, right? Well, my dad had a different plan. When I came home, he, my job was to work in the warehouse in Texas in the summertime with no AC. Dude, do you even love me? Right? I'm out here sweating, burning up with these guys out here that are just hustling and grinding it out. But one thing that, that I knew about this later on was he wanted me to work there to understand what frontline workers had to go through. That when you sit in the office and you just click a few clicks on the keyboard and think everything's mailed in, that that's not it. There's people out there that are putting in hard work. And so he had me grind it out to understand and appreciate when I finally got my corporate job that there were people out there that were working hard, harder than I was. And it, it allowed me to relate better to them when I finally got this job in corporate. Right? It allowed me to have a relationship with them and understand their needs and their wants and how they can be successful. And in turn, it helped me be a, a more successful leader because I knew what the people that were reporting into me needed to have. Well, even though we would never be in the same role or we would be in the role of our wives, we need to understand that. We need to know all aspects of what God is requiring them to do. And we need to support them and love them and understand them and who they are and study them and honor them so that they can, be, they can glorify Christ in their relationship, in their portion of marriage. And that we can help lead them in, as husbands and leaders of the household and allow our relationship with God and our marriage with God to continue to grow more and more and more holy day after day. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this uh, text. It's a tough text to preach, Lord. A majority of it is about our roles as, or about the roles of wives. And some men might just speed past that, but God, I'm so thankful that you opened my eyes to see that there's a lot of rich content in here. And as leaders of the home, we as husbands need to ensure that we know our wife's role and that we can not know it to do it, but know it to be able to lift them up, to support them, to help them glorify you in their roles in marriage. And Lord, I pray that 
the application to this text and that we talked about today that it wouldn't wait for the next holiday. It wouldn't wait for the next special event, but these men would, would go home today after they get done with work or if they're going home after this and, and, and live this out with their wives. Show the affection that their wives deserve, Lord, because you've gifted us to them. You gifted them to us, Lord. You've given us our beautiful wives and allowed us to have the greatest relationship that we could have on this side of eternity. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. And so I pray that these men would, would love their wives even more today, even with these specific applications, they, that their wives would feel loved and feel uh, just over, overwhelmed with the joy and, and the, the affection that these men will show them. Even in tough times, Lord, you tell us to, to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means at all times. And, Lord, so I pray for our small group discussions today. Pray that they'd be fruitful. Pray that guys would be honest, transparent about their marriages, be able to get things out there and get advice from, from other guys on how to be better husbands so that we don't interfere with our relationship with you, that you don't hinder our prayer life because we need you, Lord. These times are tough, and, and we need you. We have to have you. And we just thank you for just this time this morning, and thank you for allowing me to preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.